You guys, hi, I'm Charlie Bleeker. And I'm Sam Bleeker. And this is Bleeker Bombs, a podcast where we talk about all our struggles, marital, parental, financial, and personal. Let's do this. All right, Sam just ran five and a half miles. So while he recovers, I'm just going to get into the mind fuck that is sleep training. But Sam, you want to just say hello? Let us know you're here. (laughs) Hello. Okay, great. Last week, I had this hypothesis about sleep training. And I'm like sitting over here like I know what I'm talking about. Well, I was wrong. Hypothesis is out the window. I thought that by knowing how much how many ounces she would get at night, at least four ounces, hopefully five ounces, that it would, she would make it through the night based off of that feeding. This was completely, completely wrong. So that night at when we last recorded was her best night ever. She got a seven hour stretch from 12.15 to 7.15. So we were really excited and hopeful. And then the week sucked. It was so rough. And I think the expectation was that it was going to start to improve. And when it didn't, it just felt that much worse. The next night, she took four ounces at 1045. And then she woke up crying at 1.30 a.m. With my hypothesis, that would mean that she's not actually hungry because she took four ounces. So she's probably fine. But she was up crying for a while. I couldn't get her to settle. So I could only hold her in my arms, pacing around the room. So finally at 2.50, I fed her because she seemed really hungry. I mean, if your baby's hungry, you have to feed her. The good thing was that like after that, she did stay down until the morning. It was just, you know, I thought we were done with the middle of the night feed. I thought we were like transitioning. The other thing about that day is she slept all day. I woke up for every feed, but she was just out. Again, I'm not really sure what to do about that. I mean, we have like things that we try to do to keep her awake, like opening up the blinds, getting her outside, putting her on her back. But sometimes she just passes out and there's no way to wake her up. Now, at nighttime, when she's like really fussy, a lot of times I'll take her in the shower with me because that calms her down. So you had suggested like, do you want to take her in the shower with you to wake her up? I decided not to because I just thought, well, maybe today she just like really needed this sleep and it's fine. Tonight will be fine. Well, it wasn't. The next night, this is April 4th now, it was even worse. She took four ounces at 10.30 p.m. and she still seemed hungry, so then I gave her another ounce. I did this until she drank eight ounces in an hour. That's the most she's ever drank in one sitting. It was so much. Well, hearing you recap this, and I didn't think about it until just now, maybe she was going through a growth spurt. Yeah, this is what I always say. Every time something goes awry, I'm like, oh, maybe she's having a growth spurt. And that explains it. Well, she is definitely getting bigger. Yeah, she is. She's a little chunker. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope that that's why. Right. That that would make me feel better. So but then as she- you think about trying to explain sleep training to other people... When things go awry like that, we had the tendency with George our first time around to be like, well, this book sucks. Like, obviously, they don't address this. <laughs> it's like ridiculous that they think everything is going to go smoothly. Maybe the answer is kids go through growth spurts. It's not a straight line up. It's, and no, so, it's, very, it's not linear. But just but, like sticking with the plan and understand or knowing right. that you're going to have setbacks. So back to April 4th, she drank eight ounces. Then she kept waking up between... 11:30 and 1:30, like just kept crying and so finally at 1:30, i gave her another ounce so she took nine ounces that night and then she was up crying at 2:30, and i was just like so defeated i didn't have to feed her at that point i just settled her and then she went back down and then she was up again at 5:30 crying and then i had to feed her at six <laughs> what are you laughing at maybe she had too much to eat you know like have you ever been to a brazilian steakhouse where you just eat way too much and you can't sleep that's probably how she felt listen i'm trying to read her cues so i think that she wanted to eat like right. sometimes you can tell the difference like when she we know that when she's hungry she starts like pecking at you yeah she starts like headbutting our chest 
and she's just like r- like really upset like I, I don't know I can, I can just tell when she's hungry so I really think she was hungry yeah so that was a really rough night like her worst night so far the next night April 5th was another rough night this time at 10 30 she only took two and a half ounces so then she was up at 12 30 a.m two hours later she did not have to eat i was able to settle her and get her back to sleep but then she was up at 3 a.m and i breastfed at that time and then she was up at 5 a.m and at 6 a.m both times i was able to soothe her back to sleep and then she was up to eat at 7 a.m rough Hmm. up constantly and still needing to eat in the middle of the night and i wrote on my notes should have merged to merge two by now, which means moved from eight feedings to seven feedings, which is essentially dropping that middle of the night feed. And I'm just like, she hasn't done this yet. But didn't you do the math wrong on no, how old it's she not, was? No, the math isn't wrong. Listen, this is how it works. When she turns 10 weeks old, that starts week 11. But she's 10 weeks old. Which is week 11 of her life. So like right. the day she turns 10 weeks old, the next but day the is book week says 11. Between... Seven and 10 weeks. Right. I think that means how old they are. I wrote it as like, now we're in right. week 11. Yeah, yeah. No, and I she understand. should have merged right. by now. Right. Okay. So then the next night was April 6th. And this was another wonderful night. Oh, this was not a wonderful night. This was a horrible night. <laughs> this was, this horrible. was one of the worst nights I've ever had. <laughs> I meant wonderful night in that she got a nine hour stretch where she slept from 1130 to 730. And I mean, slept. Didn't All thanks to me. All thanks to Sam. This was the last night of Rite of Passage. So I was on a call from, I ended up being on there from 7 until like 9.20. This is typically Layla's worst time of night. The witching hour. The witching hour, which is certain time of night is just like they're inconsolable and it's really tough. And since it was the last night of Rite of Passage, I was like, I'm going to try and stay on this call. And so Sam was like completely on his own to take care of Layla. Oh, it was horrible. Horrible. (laughs) It's bringing back the trauma. So you went up to your call at like 6.55 and you had, or 6.58 maybe even, and you would just put her down and she was asleep. And I was like, well, this is great. Normally she doesn't wake up till 7.30 or 8. I could get about 30 minutes of work done. I got this. So I go into my office and at 7.02, she's crying. So I go in there and I soothe her and she falls back asleep and I put her down. I was like, well, that was so easy. And she stayed down, I'm pretty sure until like, 7.45 or so. So now I I heat up the bottle in the fridge, I change her diaper, I'm feeding her. She is eating well, and then I burp her in between and she pooped, so I change her diaper again. And then she finishes the three ounce bottle. So that was great. And now it's like a little after eight. She's slowly starting to ramp up, but like I'm figuring out ways like changing her position, facing her out, walking around with her. It's like a workout with like at that time of night, you just can't sit still. You're always trying new things. I'm in the bathroom with the fan on because she likes that. I'm looking at the mirror, I'm singing songs, I'm holding her off and I'm like, I got this. Like normally you're off by nine, it's now 8.10. So I got 50 minutes more and I'm figuring out ways to cope. Like right around this time, she starts ramping up and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna transfer my calm, confident energy (laughs) to this little babe. And she's gonna realize that everything's okay and he's in control. He's got (laughs) command of the situation. That did not happen. She took control of the situation very quickly. One of my favorite storytellers ever is Boyd Vardy. The first time I came across him was on Patrick O'Shaughnessy's podcast. He actually was recently on Tim Ferriss, and he retold the same story about the bees. 
he was saying that he wanted to learn about bees. So he there was a local beekeeper named Simon. Simon gives him his beekeeping suit, which is a little small for him, but don't worry, like I'll give you my socks. So now the suit is enclosed with this pair of socks. He goes into this hive of African bees and he's like, look, bees can sense energy and I've got great energy. They're gonna sense my soothing, calm, woo energy and understand like that everything is okay. And then he sees an, a bee in his suit and he's like, well, this is the time to really transfer my energy. And then he has one bee sting, two bee stings, 50 bee stings. And then it's like, he's running for his life. That's how I felt. It was one bee sting, two bee stings, <laughs> 50 bee stings. It was such a clear example of how time is relative because it was 45 minutes where she was crying like I've never heard her scream before. Nothing I could do to soothe her. And it's like I'm holding her, so it's right in my ear. And it was horrible. It felt like 16 hours. It felt like I ran a marathon. <laughs> and I think she felt the same way because <laughs> finally at like 8.58, so 45 minutes later, I get her down and you can come down 20 minutes later at 9.20. Yeah, so usually on the rite of passage calls, I stopped wearing my headphones because if I can hear her screaming really bad, I want to be able to go off camera and come down and do something to help. But since it was the last night, I put my headphones on and I could definitely hear her, but I couldn't hear as much. I just figured it was okay. It would be fine. So I come down. She's in the pack and play, not swaddled because we always swaddle her when we put her in there for to sleep. And she's just laying there with her eyes open. Which she like never does, especially at that time of night. And I was like a little worried. <laughs> and so first I, I talk to him. I make sure he's okay, which he's not. And then I pick her up. She seems okay. I just can't believe she's just wide awake. So then I basically hold her in my arms until the, her next feed, which is at 1030. And she's just wide awake the whole time, not crying. I was like, okay, well, this was really bad. But she's wide awake now and she's definitely exhausted. So maybe she'll sleep better tonight. <laughs> and she did. Well, the reason she was wide awake, similar to me, adrenaline was right. coursing through our veins. We had j both just been through the fight of our lives. <laughs> and we were worn out but couldn't sleep. So I gave her three ounces that night. And again, I, I'm always trying to give her at least four ounces, possibly five. But after three ounces, she was just, then she was exhausted. And she passed out. What I do at this time, I'd lay her on her back in the pack and play while I pumped to see if she'll wake up because a lot of times she will and then I was going to feed her more but she didn't she didn't move so then I just swaddled her up and I was like okay I put her down at 11 15 and then she slept straight through to 7 30 a.m pretty and good yeah no I mean it was great well I think I said something in the aftermath when you came downstairs I, I said this is like it's brutal like she doesn't feel like my daughter I didn't mean that in an overly dramatic way. And I think you were like, oh my God, this is a bad situation. And I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like, I don't have any ability to soothe this tiny human. And that sucks. And I don't feel like this connection where I can comfort her, I guess. And I know it will get better. And I obviously still love her immensely. It's just hard. And I guess I have like this either imposter syndrome or insecurity around caring for an infant. And maybe she's picking up that energy <laughs> instead of like the cool, confident energy. But yeah, it sucks. It's like, I wonder if other dads go through this where they can't relate to their infant or sue them. And it's probably kid specific. It's probably specific to the adult. And I remember this with George as well. Like it, did, it wasn't until maybe he was 
like seven or eight months where I really started to be able to connect with him, understand his wants and needs. And I actually felt like he enjoyed being in my presence. And it's not like I need that feedback loop. It just, it gives me confidence that I'm doing the right thing. It was also really different with George because we were both so hands-on and George was all we had. Whereas now we're in that divide and conquer where I'm taking Layla a lot of the time and you're taking George. So she is more used to me. I actually don't think it's that. I think you're her mama. Right. But with George, he was, he didn't, he he had reflux. So it was even hard for me to settle him. And so it was hard for both of us. Right. So seeing like it wasn't, it was easier for me to cope with that because you were struggling to, soothe him too right now it's like she'll be screaming her head off for 45 minutes and she goes to you and instantly it's like life is good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is fine like i understand it's nature running its course it's just hard i imagine that this is something that a lot of dads experience but then it was nice that we both got a good night's sleep <laughs> after all that so the next night was a good night she but the she best only- night ever didn't she Oh, go ahead. No, the that night was the best night. I ever. thought you got a nine-hour stretch one time. Yeah, we're not there yet. Oh, no, that was the nine-hour stretch. Eleven fifteen to seven thirty. Eight hours. Eleven thirty to seven thirty. Oh, so eight hours, but. Oh, I, I, the, the stretch is. I'm glad you said that. The stretch is for from when feeding. she eats, right? Yes. Got it, got it. But okay. she slept from eleven thirty to seven thirty, right? Which is exactly. still amazing because it's like yeah. you're in bed for eight hours. Exactly. So then the next night she had a seven and a half hour stretch and she only took two, less than three ounces, like 2.75 ounces at 10.50. That night, halfway through, I changed her diaper and then after that she was like completely passed out. So I laid her on her back hoping that she would wake up so I could give her more, but she wouldn't wake up. So I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to swaddle her. So I swaddled her. She slept until 6.30 a.m. My hypothesis about needing four ounces or five ounces to get through the night is complete shit. I think the hypothesis is give them as much as they want on any particular night because just like us, we're hungrier certain days. It depends how much energy we exerted. Like there are other circumstances that could lead into it. Right. So if some nights she wants three ounces, but some nights it's clear she wants five. It's like give her whatever Whatever she she wants wants at that time. So then the next night she was very upset during the witching hour which is like right around the 7 30 feed and was crying but then she passed out hard from eight until her next feed which she didn't eat until 10 40 and she usually is up for at least like an hour during that time so of course i was worried because she was sleeping for so long and then she took four ounces fell right back to sleep and was up at 4 30 a.m and then i had breastfed at that time and then she stayed down until the morning so i was bummed because i thought we had made it through but then she had that middle of the night feed and then last night she had a good feeding stretch she ate at 10 50 and she ate four and a half ounces last night but then she was up at 4 a.m and i was able to settle her back down and then she was crying again so then i picked her up and then i just let her sleep on me in the nursery chair until this morning and then she ate at 7 a.m so She made it through without eating, but she still woke up crying. In conclusion, it doesn't matter how much, how many ounces she gets at the last feed. What matters is that she's getting the consistent feeding throughout the day. As long as she's eating every two and a half hours or so during the day. So 7 a.m., 10 a.m., 12.30, 3 p.m., 5.30 p.m., 7.30 p.m., 10.30 p.m. She has had enough throughout the day to get her through the night. That's my hypothesis this week. So we'll see how I feel next week. Well, my conclusion is it was a, a painful week, but I feel like we're right on the cusp of daylight where like she's she can get through the night. Right. And now it's just establishing 
more of a habit or more regular behavior where it's like most nights she's right. getting from at least like midnight to seven. All right. I want to talk about this week. I had a little bit of a meltdown or a freak out or whatever you want to call it. For many years, I had really bad chronic neck pain. I always attribute it to bad anxiety. And so I would get really bad pain where it almost like felt like I needed to go to a doctor and I would have, I would struggle to catch my breath. It got to a point where it was really bad. And did, I don't know if you suggested I go to physical therapy or who suggested, but I went to a physical therapist and it changed everything. So now I understand the pain in my neck differently. I remember there was one time while I was going to physical therapy that I woke up and it was so bad and scary. And I had an appointment that day, thankfully. And I went in and my therapist was very calm. And he basically just told me that everything was normal. When something like this in your body happens, it's like a triggered response to whatever's going on. Your body just needs 48 hours to reset. And so that combined with the exercises that he gave me suddenly empowered me to feel like I could take control over my pain instead of feeling like a victim. And so now moving forward, every time I have that kind of pain, I don't get scared or freak out. I just know that I have to give it 48 hours and I have to do my physical therapy exercises. I haven't had one of these in a long time, but the other night I did. And I felt like I like pinched a nerve in my neck and I was in a lot of pain and I was struggling to catch my breath. I went into the bedroom and I was doing my exercises. And while I was in the bedroom, Sam came in and saw me doing my exercises. So I started to tell him. And a lot of times when I have one of these kind of flare-ups and he asks me what's wrong, I don't know. I just know that I'm having anxiety and it's like manifesting as pain in my body. It just got to a point where, and I touched on this last week, but like how I'm feeling really stressed out that I have too much to do. And at that point, it was like the end of the day and I was editing a recent podcast and I just realized that I had so many things on my list that I hadn't gotten to. I just felt very overwhelmed by everything that I have to do and everything that I want to do. Sam's always asking me like, you know, if I'm happy and I'm just like, it doesn't make any sense for me to say that I'm happy, but then feel this way. I've been trying to really think about what it means to be happy and move towards things that I can do to make that happen. Right now, I've been so focused on what I need to accomplish every day and my responsibilities. I want to think about like, okay, well, like, what do I actually want to do to be happy? What does it mean to feel content? And I realized like, I don't think I've ever felt content in my life. Right now is like the closest that I've felt because I have you and I have the kids and I am writing and it's very creatively fulfilling, but there's still all this stress and anxiety. So I'm doing something wrong. This is kind of crazy because for the first time in my life, I don't have to work. I can literally do whatever I want because Sam is providing for us financially. It's like the world is my oyster. Up until now, I've always had to think about finances. A lot of the motivations for what I did was to make money so I could support myself. Well, that's out of the picture now. So the other reason, which I realize now, that I do things is to make other people proud of me or to make other people happy instead of myself. And so I'm like really trying to ask myself like, okay, what do I actually want to do? Yeah, I want to write. But what, what's the goal? Am I trying to build an audience? What for? Is that just like an ego thing? Or what am I working towards? And what's the why? I don't know what the answers are to that right now. It's great having Sam to talk to about this because you said you could just spend tomorrow going outside and going for walks and 
hanging out with George and Layla, you don't have to write that tweet thread and you don't have to spend so much time editing the podcast. And there's a lot of things that you don't have to do. And he started asking me like, what is the newsletter for? And I was like, no, no, of course I have to write the newsletter. I got like a little bit nervous because I think I like to feel like I have these deadlines and I have these commitments or I won't do anything. You were very stressed out and it was manifesting an actual pain. Whenever that happens, I think it makes sense to start with a clean sheet of paper. And I think the newsletter is really cool and I think you do get a lot of satisfaction out of it. But when you're in that place, I do think it's like makes sense to not have any sacred cows. And there's this concept in finance and accounting, zero-based budgeting. So at each year, you basically throw everything you spent money out last year out the window and you start with a blank sheet of paper and decide what makes sense to spend money on this year. So nothing's off limits. Everything can potentially be cut that helps organizations from becoming bloated or it it helps keep a, a lean cost base. But that's what I was trying to at least like provocatively ask. I also think when you talked about contentment, to me and you said have you ever been content in your life and at first my first reaction was like yeah but then I thought about it more and I'm like I'm not sure it made me think of this phrase the disease of more and I think it was originally coined by Pat Riley when he was talking about teams that win the NBA championship and it's hard to have sustained success because each player then wants more shots and more stats more money more like time in the spotlight. And so like the whole team dynamic suffers because each individual on the team wants more. All ambitious people are shackled with this disease of more. Like no matter how successful you are, your ambition will continue to drive more wants. And you're always trying to level up and like achieve the next thing. I mean, I think about this with money. At some point you have enough right? And what is the point of making more money? For me, like right now, the number would be like $20 million. Like at some point you could just opt out of the game and we're not there yet, like obviously. But if we had $20 million, I don't, I think we would be financially independent. We wouldn't necessarily need to work to support our lifestyle and we could pretty much do anything we wanted. If and when we get there, I don't think I'm going to stop investing and opt out of the game, even if that would be like the safer option. I'm competitive. I think competition is fun. I think going for it is fun. And I think something would be missing if I wasn't continuing to try to achieve more. Ambitious people need to figure out a way to harness this ambition or desire for more. It's like, on the one hand, super powerful in the sense that it's driving us and it's motivating us to do cool and interesting things. But on the other hand, when it gets unhealthy to where we're stressed out constantly and we're not fulfilled and it's debilitating, that's when we need to reevaluate. Yeah, I guess I started to think about mortality and I was just like, if I died tomorrow, would I be happy that I was stressed out all day and like sitting on my computer? Or would I have wanted to live my day differently? And I would have wanted to live it differently. I would have wanted to be outside and I would have wanted to worked out and felt physically good because I haven't done that in a long time. There are a lot of things that I've just been pushing aside because there's no, you know, quote, no time to do it because all these other things feel more important, but they're not more important. Yesterday, I I finally spoke on the phone to two of my friends, phone conversations that I've been putting off for a while. And when I was talking to them, I wasn't thinking I have to get off the phone and I have to do all these things. I was just there with them. It was just nice. It felt good to catch up and connect with them. That's obviously important. And I think I've been losing that. That's like one of the things. It's like this just connection with people that I've been saying isn't important because it feels like, I guess I take for granted that they're there and and I can call them 
any time. Those conversations will actually help your writing because it's per, it's generating content and ideas. And so it's really for both of us figuring out ways to manage our time and manage our energy, being able to focus on just one thing, even if our list is very long. But it's just getting more efficient too. So it's like, okay, spend a day reading a book, spend a day talking with your friends. And then when you sit down to write, you'll actually come from a place of abundance. Right now, I'm not being intentional with my life. I wake up and it's just like the clock's running and I've got this list of things to get done and, and that's the only thing I can see. And right. I'm not looking at all these other important things in my life which are very important, physical health, getting some sunshine, connecting with friends, reading good books. I mean, I really haven't been consuming anything recently. I haven't been listening to podcasts or reading anything and because I've been trying to create and like editing this podcast takes me way too long. And you've also been you know, dealing yeah, with Yeah, yeah, I'm breastfeeding. And, <laughs> and she's not sleeping through the night yet. Right. I mean, but again, it goes to that anxiety if you're not like constantly creating. You couldn't just give yourself this time without feeling that sense of, or that disease of more. But I also have been, ever since you brought this up, I've been thinking about it. We both, like, there is a strong impetus to change because our kids are going to inherit these qualities from us. If they see us frazzled, running around, neurotic and anxious all day that is how they are going to be so we need to figure out ways to harness our anxiety and compartmentalize after talking with you i've decided to reduce our recording for the podcast to once every two weeks instead of every week because i spend too much time editing and you told me i don't have to edit but i can't help it so i'd rather just instead of not editing as much i'd rather still edit the way i do and just do it less. And I think that the reason why that was hard for me to decide to do that is because there's an expectation that I put on myself that, well, I said I was gonna do this every week, and so other people are gonna see that as a failure, or that I can't handle it, or I'm not really like a you know committed creator or something like what am i making up in my head nobody cares about what i'm doing if i do the podcast every week or if i do it every other week nobody cares so that was freeing for me to make that decision so that i can make room for these other things that are very important and i i just need some a little bit of space to figure out what i want to do, be doing because you said it well you said the newsletter should be fun the podcast should be fun these are things that you want to be doing and so if they're not fun anymore you have to figure out a better way to do them or you need to reevaluate why you're doing them. And so I do love writing the newsletter and I do love doing the podcast. It's just that the mostly the podcast has just been taking up so much of my time lately. Right. And I'm really excited about not feeling <laughs> this stressed out about something. Yeah. And also it's not like this decision that is a one-way door. Like if we have something to talk about and it's an off week, we could sit down and record. If we don't have anything to talk about and we're really busy and stressed out, we can take a week off. I think the fact that it's both of us doing this and we both enjoy it is the accountability function. It's different than like the weekly newsletter, which you're doing by yourself. And if you skip a week, then maybe you'll skip the next week or you'll give yourself the freedom to skip. But here it's both of us doing it and we're accountable to each other. So I don't think the weekly cadence or any regular cadence is as important. Agreed. Yeah, so I, I'm just really excited now. And I, I just appreciate you so much. Because every time I lose my shit, you're there to pick me up. 
And this is on the heels of you being so stressed out about everything with the fund. And I'm over here like having a meltdown because I have to edit a podcast. It's just like when I put it into perspective, I, I just feel like I am being dramatic and nothing is this serious. Yeah, I mean, I think about that too. I, with with the fund, I mean, it's the same stuff. Like it, We're both going after our passions, but at the end of the day, as Hubert Davis said, it's just a basketball game. And it, it, like none of this matters in the scheme of things. What matters is our health, our kids, our, our relationship together, and the memories we're making every day. That's right. So moving forward, we're going to do, we're going to record every other week. Or when we have something to say. Or when we have something to say. And that's kind of really all I had for this week. I was going to end with a song, actually. Oh. I thought of an ending today. Yes. Yeah, so when you become a parent, you just start singing songs. <laughs> and this was not something anybody told us. And Sam and I don't have good voices. We actually nope. have terrible voices. Terrible. I don't really know any nursery songs. Sam doesn't even know them. Like the ones that I do know, he has no idea what any of them are. Like he doesn't know any words to any songs. And then when I don't know the words, she's like, what were you doing as a kid? Probably counting money. (laughs) Yeah. And you said, yeah, I was counting money. (laughs) So you just like make up these really, really stupid songs. And it's actually quite embarrassing. This is all about, you know, me being vulnerable. So I was like, I thought I would sing them one of our songs. Great. So this is what we sing to George. Not so much George as much anymore, but I'll still sing it to him sometimes. It's okay. You're okay. Everything is okay. It's okay. You're okay. Everything is okay. (laughs) And it actually soothes them both. Yes. And then I got so tired of singing that over and over again. So I came up with a second verse. I love you. Yes, I do. Papa loves you too. I love you. Yes, I do. Papa loves you too. For the non-parents, they are like, (laughs) oh my God, I cannot believe. And the parents are probably like, yep, makes total sense. (laughs) I actually was just singing it and Layla calmed in my arms. So that's nice. So that's it. This was fun. This was fun. I just... Love you and appreciate you so much. And I'm so glad we're doing this life thing together. Oh, completely agree. I love you too. I wouldn't be able to do it without you. And to the listeners, you guys are awesome. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.